This is She Becomes, a podcast from the Junior League of Houston about unlocking the potential of women and training the next generation of women leaders. Why is it okay that there are so many spaces where women's voices aren't valued and how can we start to shift that? And so that was really the genesis uh, along with those other factors I mentioned of like, okay, I, I see there's a need for this. I need it for myself. Um, there's got to be a space where women's voice is centered. Welcome to She Becomes. I'm Lauren Cooper, and today we are sitting down with Malika Amandi, founder of the Center for Women's Voice. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Malika, I have to ask, you are a national speaker and a coach. You teach women how to communicate effectively and authentically without apologizing or overanalyzing. I know you draw from your own personal experiences to help guide for women who want to be heard. What led you to pursue this career? Well, I actually came to this through kind of my own frustrations um, (laughs) with the world at the time. So in 2016, I was pursuing acting full time and... I also had a number of side jobs to sustain that career, which is very common for anybody in the entertainment industry. Um, It was interesting at that time, the jobs that I had, uh, one of them, I was basically a professional communicator uh, for an organization contracted by the military to do sexual assault prevention and response training for sailors and Marines all over the world. So I was hired as an actor, I became a facilitator with that organization, but I was very much uh, in the realm of learning about sexual assault and some of the consequences for people who experience that in the military context and retaliation. At the same time, on the days I wasn't doing that, I was working for a legal advocacy group that was helping connect women to legal representation Uh, women who had been hurt by pharmaceutical campaigns or um, kind of systemic injustices. And at the same time, this was the beginning of the Me Too movement, right? And I felt like this bubbling up of frustration. (laughs) Um, I was speaking with women every day who had trouble communicating with their doctors. I was connecting with women who had been assaulted in the military and felt like they had no recourse to kind of get their career back. And at the same time, I was feeling um, this frustration internally. And I felt like the only options were you could sign a petition, you could go to a march, uh, but nobody was addressing kind of what is happening on a day-to-day level and in your, in your life and your own conversations that are causing these things. Even with the Me Too movement, There was a lot of emphasis on people sharing their stories or something that had happened to them in the past, but not so much about prevention or how do we try to change the narrative for the next generation. So these things were all kind of swirling around in my head. And I wanted to create a space where women could sort out the kind of nitty gritty of knowing their own values and being able to communicate them in real time uh, when the stakes are high, when you need to. Um, so that you could start to feel like you had more agency in your own life. I read that you were once told, sometimes it's just better coming from a man at a training session that you were co-facilitating. And it was a presentation that, you know, they said you have the option to turn it over to your male counterpart if you want. And I have to ask, what went through your mind when you heard that? Because I'd be furious. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) exactly. I was furious. I was angry and I was disappointed. And I think what came across my mind was I will never do that, A. And B, 
why is this the advice that they're giving me? Why is this the protocol that this is how we train facilitators in this context? Um, because I had been in those rooms with 1,200 Marines who didn't want to talk about sexual assault prevention response training, I knew I knew that it's a tough environment, right? And that um, I knew that women's voices were not valued in that space in the same way that men's voices were. I had experienced that as a performer, and I understood why they were giving me this kind of advice. And I also felt like you know what, that's not good enough. I understand where it's coming from, but that's not a great solution. And the organization's stance was like, well, this isn't our problem. We're here to do this specific training. We have this amount of time. And I knew for me, there was a light bulb that went off of like, okay, this is my problem. This is a problem that I want to work on. And I understand that's not the scope of this particular job, but I think that's a pretty important conversation to have of why why is it okay that there are so many spaces where women's voices aren't valued and how can we start to shift that? And so that was really the genesis uh, along with those other factors I mentioned of like, okay, I I see there's a need for this. I need it for myself. Um, There's gotta be a space where women's voice is centered is the conversation and women who wanna be equipped to stand and own their voice and be in their full leadership capacity in those type of masculine environments are not told instead to just shrink or pass the mic, right? That they have some other tools and resources to draw from. So it's safe to say that this certainly impacted your career moving forward. Hands down. I mean, it was, (laughs) it was a, I didn't like it in the moment, but I think that conversation really helped me crystallize. Oh, I think this is what I'm supposed to do on the planet in such a powerful way that was one of the best things that could have happened at that time. You know, I'm always told everything happens for a reason. So whether it's good or bad. So uh, you took what you heard and you made it a positive, which is amazing. And it was important for me to know that it bothered, really bothered me. I think that's something I've heard others say, especially when it comes to entrepreneurship or um, just finding your purpose or your passion. It's like, pay attention to what bothers you and what upsets you. Often that is the thing that you are meant to address. When you talk about women's voice, you call it voice with a capital V. So what do you mean by that? You know, when we hear the word voice, we think of the sounds that are coming out of my mouth, right? The the tone that I'm making, sometimes the words that I'm saying coming from this hole in, in my face, right? That is your voice. But voice is also what you represent. It's the meaning that you are trying to convey. It's what you are communicating. It's your perspective. It's your contribution. It's what you stand for. So I love to use voice as metaphor because it is all of those things. And often people will seek me out as a coach because they are, they feel like there is an issue with their voice, kind of with a small V, right? I'm not loud enough. They can't hear me in the back of the room. When I'm speaking, I'm just not concise enough. So I don't think people really get it. And those are more what I would call technical issues, right? They're always connected to the bigger V questions of like, well, why am I speaking? What do I have to say? How do I feel about whether I belong in the room or not? Um, And those things are always going to, in my experience, take care of a lot of the technical issues that we can tend to over-focus on. 
you found a way to be heard and be yourself at the same time. You know, what's the secret? Good question. (laughs) What is the secret? I think for me, the key has really been to trust myself and to believe that my instincts are good. And even if I make mistakes or, um, you know, I don't know something I'm always learning and growing to know that at my core, I can speak and act and move in a way that is for my better good. I say when I work with clients that I kind of go off the premise that you are the expert on your own voice, right? Your values, your experience, your perspective are going to give you the most guidance about how to um, be in any situation. And my role as a coach is to kind of help you tap into that, uh, what you already know. Um, I think often we can come across or feel we are not being authentic when we are looking for somebody else to tell us what it is we should say or how we should be or what it is to be a good leader or this or that. We're trying to fit into some mold, right? And that is when we kind of betray ourselves. So I think the key to showing up authentically is to, is to trust that your instincts are right. And I think the other thing is to have a stake in everything that you do. And what I mean by that is kind of if you are leading a meeting, having a reason for yourself why it's important for you to lead that meeting. If you are throwing a birthday party for your friend, having a reason why this matters to you and helps you live out your values. If you are, you know, taking someone to the airport, (laughs) whatever it is, kind of practicing having yourself and the things that you're doing. Um, Often, especially as women, we are kind of encouraged to be selfless, or there's, that's kind of glorified as like a, a really valuable thing. If she's selfless, she never thought about herself. She put everybody first. I think that's a fast track to feeling like, who am I? What am I doing? I, I'm not authentic, right? And it's not that you can't be generous and serve others, but I think it's important to know why that's important to you. Was there a moment in time that you're like, I believe in myself and I'm going to make this happen? I think a lot of it did have to do with starting this business, honestly, um, I did make a big pivot in becoming an entrepreneur and I was frustrated with the entertainment industry and the, the kind of how many factors were outside of my control in that realm. And I think that was a moment for me where I realized, you know what, if, if I want to feel good about my life on a day-to-day basis, it's really up to me to make that happen. And These are some skills that I have. This is a thing I'm interested in. Let me just see what can happen. Will I fail? Maybe, I don't know, but let me try. Let me rule it out, right? If it's not going to work, I won't know until I do it. And that honestly came at, and and I know, I feel like other women have had this experience too. It was like a thing in my thirties, right? Where it's just like, (laughs) also this recognition of like, I don't like the way things are going. I'm ready to change. There's, you know, there's something more I can do here. I think um, that maybe you don't feel so much in your twenties, right? Because (laughs) enough life hasn't happened, but I mean, maybe it's an individual thing that could come at a different point for different people. Um, But certainly I was 
at a stage where I knew I had a lot of experience and I had a lot of training in certain regards. And I didn't feel, I had this sense of, oh, I've got so much potential. And that's something that I heard people say often. And I had this moment of feeling frustrated by that, that label of being someone with potential versus somebody that is living it out, is just a person of purpose or whatever language you want to use, but shifting that potential into actual my reality. I mean, now you coach women across the country and what have you found has been the biggest obstacle for them and trying to find their authentic voice because everybody's different. So it's yeah. finding that is what works for them. Yeah. You know, I think one thing that I have noticed with women across careers is this tendency to want permission to want somebody else to say, yes, you can do the thing that you care about in your workplace or permission to lead, permission to speak. There are a lot of ways that we are conditioned to check in with others and to wait or to be invited to speak or to share. That's a big issue to overcome. It's really like a, a framing matter of like, well, who, why does somebody else have the authority to tell me what to do or how to do it? Is it what if I decided that I'm the person who has that authority and can I give myself permission to show up in the way that I actually want to? That's something that I've definitely noticed across clients. I think the other thing is particularly with women who have children, small children, and even those who, who don't have children, but I, that's, I mean, that is a challenging time. It's, it's just space, time. <laughs> time to think about on a deeper level about your life and your career. And in that way, coaching for many of my clients is the time, is the space. It's the committed two hours a month where it is for them to really think about, well, what do I want in my career? How am I growing? What do I do? But it can be very challenging to prioritize yourself when you have other people depending on you and, uh, you know, making demands or just expecting that you're going to be that selfless mom, it can really uh, rock the boat when you decide, actually, <laughs> in order to take care of you and to be the best version of myself and this family, I need more space. Um, but that I think is, is something that has been really rewarding for me to see those clients who do take that risk to figure out how to create more space or they have that conversation with their partners or their kids to say, Hey, mommy needs this time right now. This is why can you, you know, leave, leave me alone for this amount of time. Obviously, depending on the age of your children, <laughs> that conversation might go differently. I was just thinking, how do I rationalize that with a three-year-old? If you have tips on that, we're golden. <laughs> but even just having, being willing to challenge that kind of expectation, right? That mommy's the go-to person for everything and training your kids of like, you go to dad for this or at this time I'm off, whatever it is. And obviously that it can look differently, but I think it is such a huge uh, step to even have that conversation, to start thinking, well, what can I do in my life, in my house to kind of 
tweak things that are, I don't feel like they're working for me. As you know, the junior league is made up of hundreds of women who care about their community and they want to develop their own potential. So what advice would you give to them to help find and use their voice? So I think it's important to pay attention to your perspective. You have a voice, all right? It's not about finding it or cultivating it. You just have to use it. So whatever that means to you, I think journaling is really powerful to write down. Anytime you're codifying your thoughts, this is what I think about this. This is how I feel about this. That is a way of practicing using your voice. Um, But also just paying attention to the things that bother you paying attention to the things that light you up and really taking those things seriously. That's information for you about what your perspective is, what your unique expression is. Not everybody's going to feel the same way about those things. So I think really starting to listen to yourself. Um, You have a voice inside of your head that you hear all the time, (laughs) right? Listen to her. And there's like the critic voice. And then there's actually like a, another smaller voice usually that is a little bit speaks a little bit less often. That's closer to like who you are, your real authentic self. Take time to, to probe that voice, to, to ask yourself, what are the deeper things coming up for me on this? When was the first time you felt like you truly used your voice? Was there just like a time that you were like, okay, all right. Like a, a switch flipped. I mean, I think there's, there are ways to use your voice that are, have nothing to do with speaking, (laughs) going back to that, you know, the capital V voice, right? There are certain choices that I made um, that I feel like were me using my voice because I knew something wasn't right for me. I'm thinking of situations where I left a job, right? Because I did not like the way I was being treated or paid, or I felt like, you know what, I'm better than this quitting that job and deciding, you know, there's something better for me. I can make money a different way. That was a way of me using my voice to say, I won't be in this situation anymore. I'm going to move here. So I think it's not always about, you know, often we, we kind of dream about having, you know, somebody says something to you or some comment or sex remark, and you, we dream of having like the perfect comeback, right. Of, (laughs) (laughs) Like putting someone in their place or using your voice to just say this very eloquent statement of why that person is wrong. And that's not always, that doesn't happen very often. You know, it happens on television a lot, but in our real lives, that's not always the case. But there are a billion ways that we can, in a matter of speaking, speak up with our actions, uh, with where we spend our time, you know, with where we spend our money. There, there are a lot of ways to kind of wield your influence. So you have all these great tips and advice and you have even more, I know, on your blog and you have something on there called it's the vegan donut principle. So what is that? Can you tell me more about it? So I was at the time living near a vegan donut store. I happen to like donuts. I don't know much about vegan donuts, but I had uh, walked by this shop a number of times and thought, oh, this, I want to try this place out and had kind of envisioned this whole scenario of going in and having a treat and some coffee and journaling and just like a little date for myself. So I go to this place and I get a glazed donut 
and it's six dollars, which for me is way more money than I've ever paid for a donut in my life. And I was a little taken aback by the price, but I could have, I, I had six dollars, I could pay for it, but it was just like, really, for the uh, donut? Okay, I get this, must be amazing. So I, I purchase the donut, I sit down, and I take a bite of it, and it is the most disgusting thing I've ever put in my mouth. It was so gross. It was pasty. It, it didn't, the flavor was off. And I just had this moment of like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? <laughs> I built up this whole uh, thing about enjoying this treat and I paid $6 for it and it tastes so horrible. Am I just going to throw this donut away? No, it costs $6. But then am I going to eat it? no, it's horrible. Like I care about myself more than to make myself eat this disgusting thing. If you had walked by me in this donut, you would have thought this woman is crazy. She's just staring at this donut (laughs) sitting there with one bite out of it. And this little voice inside said, well, why don't you just go ask for another one? And I was like, what? I can't do that. I cannot return a donut. This is not something you return. That would be ridiculous. They're going to laugh at me. They're going to be upset. I'm going to make the clerk angry. And I thought, well, am I going to make the clerk angry? (laughs) I don't know. Like, will they think I'm high maintenance? Yes. But also I'm somebody who just paid $6 for a vegan donut. So I think that ship has sailed in terms of like, what kind of customer am I? And so it was like, okay, I think I'm going to try this. It feels really, really risky, but I'm going to try it. So I kind of gathered my courage and went to the counter and said, you know, this donut, I really didn't like it. Is there any way I could get a different one? And without skipping a beat, The cashier said, oh yeah, a lot of people don't like that one. Here, let me give you this chocolate donut instead. And that was it. And that was like mind blown. All I had to do was ask and the situation was better (laughs) instantly because I asked. And so that was a huge shift for me of like, wow, if I was willing to do this for this vegan donut, what are the other issues in my life that I have not been willing to speak up about that could be changed just by asking, just by broaching the subject and seeing what was possible. You know, maybe I could follow up with that client who hadn't paid my fee in a number of months, right? Maybe this is the time to, if I can, if I can speak up about this vegan donut, I could probably figure out a way to speak about this other thing. That's so much more important. And that's the vegan donut principle, right? Like (laughs) it works for big things and for small things. If I'm willing to kind of uh, return a vegan donut, surely I can just talk to my neighbor about, you know, not leaving the trash bin right by my door or something, you know, some little small thing, right? And this is the, the thing that has, why this took hold for me and especially and working with other women is to see there is a path, there is a ramp of self-advocacy. It's not just about negotiating your salary or doing these kind of huge things. It's like on the little things, are you willing to speak up, to take a risk? If you can start doing that on these smaller things, that is the muscle that you build that will 
support you in the bigger asks or the bigger issues, right? But it's all connected. It's all coming from the same place, which is identifying, you know, there's something going on that I don't like. And I really think I deserve better in this situation, whether that's the food (laughs) that you're eating in that moment for me, or some bigger uh, concept of, you know, a relationship that you deserve different to be treated differently in or a job or something else. Um, So that is the vegan donut principle. Uh, (laughs) I will never forget that, that donut that I never went back to that store. (laughs) The place is the chocolate one better. It was better. (laughs) It definitely was. Uh, But I think at the end of the day, I felt like, that's not my thing. <laughs> not so much into vegan donuts, but it gave me a huge life lesson. It, it hits very close to home because I don't know how many times I've like sat there and gone, oh my gosh, and I've analyzed it and thought, what can I do? And, uh, you know, like with the donut, y- you have to ask, you will never know if anything happens. Like it just. Yes. And sometimes the answer is no, we don't exchange donuts, right? <laughs> and if that's the case, well, then, you know, right? You're not left wondering, did I do everything I could have done? Uh, It can be easier to move on from that situation. Um, But exactly what you said, you will never know unless you ask. That is women, you know, we're always struggling to find that balance, you know, whether it's, you know, you've got your professional life, you've got your family life, you've got everything else in between, you know, how do you approach finding that balance? You know, balance is a misleading word because it assumes that things are going to even out the same, right? And I think that's just not the reality for most people. There are times when your career might demand more or times when your home life might demand more. And so I think it's more helpful to think of those things instead of thinking of them in balance is thinking of them in a dynamic, right? They are related to one another and kind of your capacity to invest in one place or another will shift. Um, But I think balance can feel elusive and often we can beat ourselves up because we feel out of balance. So I think knowing, okay, there's going to be certain times where I'm all in here or where I'm all in here and that's okay. And things will change, right? My kids will get older. Things will, (laughs) things will shift or, you know, I'm in a position, I don't have kids right now but I know there, I want kids that will change, right? That's going to shift the way I run my business because it has to. And I'm prepared for that. It won't look, it's going to look differently. Right. So I think where we get in trouble is when we are demanding balance from ourselves where it's just not possible. Um, But it is important to know, okay, well, when I do have a little bit of space, maybe I don't, maybe I can't, um, you know, have a full day to myself, but if I can have 30 minutes to myself, here's what I want to do in that 30 minutes. or this is what's important to me or, or I will make sure I get that 30 minutes or that 15 minutes. Yeah. Things are shifting in dynamic. It's like, how do you make sure you carve out some space for you, for your career or your goals? Um, Knowing that that's going to change in different times. Malika, I want to thank you so much, uh, you know, for joining us today on She Becomes. So I 
I mean, your story is incredible and the advice that you've given us, I think is just amazing. And we truly appreciate you being able to come and chat with us today about it. So I, I want to again, thank you for your time. And it was truly a pleasure getting to know you today. Thank you so much for having me. This was a great conversation. Thank you. That was Malika Amandi, founder and director of the Center for Women's Voice. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, please be sure to share it with your friends and follow us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite place to listen to podcasts. Our music is from Ketza, Makai Beats, and Poddington Bear. Our editor is Laura Isensee. I'm Lauren Cooper, and this is She Becomes, a podcast from the Junior League of Houston.